1: So here, we're going to bring in my great friend, Tyler Goodspeed, who's former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors during the Trump administration. He is presently a Hoover Institution fellow. Uh, Tyler, good to thank you. Thanks for coming around on a Saturday. We appreciate it.
0: Good to be with you, Larry. um, I'm actually, I've had to flee into the deep interior of the East India Club in London because there's a, a large, loud Climate change protest going on outside in in St. James's Square in front of the headquarters of British Petroleum. oh God well that's
1: wonderful <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much for that. It's a perfect place to talk about the u s economy so i want <laughs> I want to ask you um, you know a big question here the Fed is changing policies. Uh, however slowly and you know, brilliantly or stupidly, but uh, they are shifting. They are going to take the punch bowl away. It may be too late, too slow, and all the rest. But a big question on Wall Street, Tyler, is can, can there be, will there be a soft landing? Can we get out of this high-inflation economy and the Fed's going to tighten policies, raise rates, uh, take money out of the economy, they'll be running off their bond portfolio. Uh, Larry Summers wrote a piece, another piece in the Washington Post, you may have seen it. Um, He says we're in a stagflation mode and it's going to end in recession. So Tyler, what do you think? Is the soft landing a triumph of hope over experience or could the Fed actually pull that off?
0: I hope they can pull it off. It's not impossible that they pull it off. The record of the post-1945 U.S. economy is it suggests it's, it's unlikely. Mm. And I think that the people underestimate the magnitude of the tightening that they're going to have to do, because to actually tighten, you've got to get real interest rates up. And that means you have to be hiking the nominal rate by more than the change in inflation. So, <laughs> inflation's gone from below 2% to 8%. That implies a, a fair amount of nominal tightening.
1: Yeah. So, that's a, that's really a key question. Um, I don't know what the right rate is. Let's say, for example, uh, the deflator or the personal consumption deflator that the Fed watches, I mean, that thing's running about 7%. So, you're really. To squelch inflation, you're going to need a target rate of, you know, 8%, 9%, 10%. I think I read your colleague and my friend John Cochran wrote up uh, the Taylor rule, um, you know, John Taylor's rule, I think he said, would suggest a, a Fed fund's target rate of 11%. I mean, I don't know. What do you think the right rate is? Where do you, how, far, how far is this going to have to go? And how much time is it going to take to get there?
0: Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use a, a word that has been utterly disgraced, and that is that so, some of the increase in inflation has been temporary or transitory. And right. insofar as we expect inflation to come down from 8% to, you know, 6%, then that would, that would say to me that, you know, we might need a 400 basis point increase in, in the Fed funds rate. Um, But even in that scenario, that's that's a bigger hike than I think a lot of people are expecting. And I don't know that markets can can handle that without a recession.
1: So that's like a four percent funds rate or four and a half percent funds rate. We're at a half a percent now. Uh, Yeah, I know. I think that's reasonable. Um, It may be too low, Tyler, but uh, I don't know who knows. But that but your second point is key. Nobody's really expecting that, including the Fed.
0: Right. And, and as I said, that, that's sort of in the optimistic scenario in which inflation eases from, from 8% to 6%. But if some of the energy price increases that we've seen thus far this year persist, you know, we we could be looking at eight or nine percent- a sustained eight rate of inflation in twenty twenty two of that at eight nine percent in which case are we're gonna need a bigger uh we we would need a bigger increase in the fed funds rate
1: um have you been watching uh you know when they published the minutes last week uh they're talking about slowing down the portfolio by about a hundred billion dollars i guess but we don't know. A you know, hundred billion dollars a month, but we we don't know I guess they're gonna start in May. They should have started in January if you ask me. But in any event, what do you make of their pronouncements? I mean, are they gonna to be too slow? Are they gonna be behind the curve? I mean it's clear they're behind way behind the curve now. I guess I'm asking you, Tyler Goodspeed, how how do they catch up to the curve?
0: Right. I mean, as, as you said, they certainly they should have they should have ended mortgage back, purchases of mortgage backed securities over a year ago. Yeah, uh, I think that they're going to have to tighten uh allow runoff and actually tighten a lot faster than they did in, in 2017, 2018, when there was just no sign of inflation whatsoever. And I think there then the cap was something like 50 billion dollars. They never breached the cap. And they're they're probably going to have to do substantially more than that, and they might have to do some active selling of mortgage-backed securities because those those have a pretty long term, so they can't rely on just just natural runoff.
1: So what's that going to do to the long end of the curve? Let's say let's say you, somehow they should have a four percent Fed funds rate. Right now it's uh, I'll call it fifty base. I call it one half a percent. What's that going to do to, the, let's say,
0: the 10-year Treasury? Well, it's, it's certainly going to impact the yield spread because, you know, it's if, if just natural runoff of some of these shorter-term holdings. You know, that, that's going to raise the yield on, on some of the shorter-duration securities that they've been holding. Uh, and so, you know, we saw this in 2017, 2018, 2019. It's just the, 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 the end of, of QE and the start of QT tended to compress that yield spread, uh, which is part of the reason why I think bond markets have been flashing red is because of the, that compression as, as they wrap wrap up asset purchases and, and begin to, to approach actual outright QT.
1: What's the economy look like to you right now? I'm just looking. Hold on a second. I'm going to go. I think I have it here someplace. The GDP, uh, the Atlanta Fed's GDP now is – Hold on, hold on. They're saying 1.1% is their latest estimate for Q1, 1.1%. What's the economy look like to you?
0: I mean, it looks like a very tight labor market. We just haven't seen vacancy rates, quit rates at this level ever, basically, and that's that's good for nominal wages, although as you know, at least on average, nominal wages just haven't been keeping up with with inflation uh, but it is a very tight labor market at the same time. I just think uh, they've they've really policymakers in the past year have really messed up the supply side of this economy, and I think we're looking at something pretty stagflationary mm-hmm.
1: what um What's the war doing to all this?
0: Well, certainly the the direct impact is on prices of commodities and food. I mean, I think that that is something that is underappreciated about the experience of the 1970s, was the contribution of of food inflation globally, uh, but including in the United States. And then I think it also just introduces a lot of uncertainty, and as you you know – uh, uncertainty really raises the the real option value of firms just postponing investment. And that, that isn't, isn't going to do a lot to help improve the supply side situation.
1: Yeah, what do you think about Biden's $2.5 trillion tax hike proposal in the middle of all this? I mean,
0: I mean... <laughs> I mean, yeah, way, way to call forth increased labor force participation, way to call forth increased business investment, particularly in energy, uh, by raising tax rates, it, it, it doesn't add up.
1: Yeah, so, I, I mean, I just think, look, I- inflation, in one sense, is too much money chasing too few goods. Wouldn't you want to increase the supply of goods I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to be if you're tightening money, Tyler? Wouldn't you want to be reducing tax rates and reducing regulations, which would you know produce more production, more supply, more goods and services?
0: You you would think so. And and look, we had this enormous increase in demand last year because of the 1.9 trillion dollar America Rescue Plan. Not only was that bumping up against the supply side that was struggling to emerge from – well, I mean, it made enormous gains, but it was still emerging from from the pandemic. And then they included measures like an extension of the, the supplemental federal unemployment benefits and a, a child tax credit expansion with no work requirements that just impaired that supply-side recovery that had been under, underway.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's just, it just strikes me, Tyler Goodspeed, it's, it's they're proposing exactly the wrong policy. In other words, it's the reverse of what we should be doing. Let's take a quick break. Can you come back? Uh, you're sitting there in London. Uh, can you hang? I got to take. I a, can. All right, I got to take a quick commercial break. We're talking to Tyler Goodspeed. He's a former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisers during the Trump administration. He's now at the Hoover Institution as a fellow. He's uh, at the what is it? The East India Club in london trying to fight off a um an earth day i'm going to call it an earth day demonstration anyway i'm larry kudlow folks we'll take a quick break we'll come back with tyler in just a moment now back to the larry kudlow show welcome back folks i'm larry kudlow we're talking to tyler goodspeed who's the former chairman of the council of economic advisors during the trump administration he is now a fellow at the Hoover Institution. He's coming to us from London. Tyler, what do you reckon, how much growth can we get this year?
0: So I, I heading into the year, I was a little bit on the low end of about 3% because I'm, I was looking at the supply side, and I, it just wasn't adding up given the the, the, the stalled Recovery and labor force participation, which fortunately has started to pick up for prime-age workers uh, in the past couple of months. And that 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 lack of business investment, particularly in, in the energy sector, the supply side wasn't adding up for me. And now with the energy price shock, look, every 10% increase in the price of oil, sustained increase in the price of oil, shaves about – point two percentage point off real GDP growth, so we we could be looking at, at you know six to point six to point eight off that three percent
1: so you're really saying something like uh, I don't know six to eight percent inflation, two to three uh, percent GDP, which is a yeah. definition of stagflation
0: yeah I see I see very very low weak growth this year. Inflation continuing at a very elevated level, and the, the the risk of recession in any given year is about fifteen percent. I think that's probably higher this year, and then it's probably going to be higher next year.
1: Yeah, I don't know how you get at. It. I mean, this is uh, the Larry Summers point. Uh, he he tends to look at it more from the Phillips curve trade off of un, unemployment and inflation, but really. I don't know how you get out of this without a recession in two thousand. you know, next, not this year, but next year or the year after, I think Tyler, it's going to be very hard to escape a recession.
0: Yeah. And you know, I, I am an optimist. I know you're an optimist, but I, I struggle to see how, how we avoid it. And in part because, you know, we've had a decade of very low and, very stable interest rates, very low and very stable inflation. And a a portfolio, a capital structure that makes sense under that regime just doesn't make sense under a regime where interest rates are having to go up very aggressively and inflation is still very high.
1: If you were still at CEA, what would you recommend? What policies? Because you're going to get, I mean, the optimistic side of this is the cavalry's coming. You're going to get a big change. In Congress, Republicans probably going to take Congress. Uh, the, I know they're going to take the House, uh, and I think they're going to take the Senate too. There's a revolt against uh, what Biden's—you know—there's a revolt against Biden's left-wing progressivism, basically in all of its many forms. Tyler, so if you could have a policy change, what would you recommend?
0: So I, I would start with trying to give both people and businesses. Some tax certainty by working to, to make permanent some of the provisions of the 2017 tax laws that are currently scheduled to start sunsetting. So, on the business side, that would include full expensing. I think that's going to be really important for uh, incentivizing domestic energy production. I would also be looking to make permanent the marginal income tax rate cuts. On the, on the personal side, because, as I said, we really need to do, be doing everything we can to incentivize higher labor force participation.
1: Wouldn't you? I, I think keeping the 21 percent corporate rate is very important. And, you know, Tyler, what else is this this uh, minimum corporate tax, both at home and abroad? Uh, I think you want to you stay away from all that stuff.
0: Uh, ab- absolutely. I mean, the, the the cartelization of international tax competition is, I think, terrible for for innovation and and incentivizing investment. And I am encouraged that if if Republicans do retake both out both houses of Congress in twenty twenty two, that that is that is not going anywhere. Secretary and Steele at the OECD is not going anywhere. Yeah. That's my hope.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right. That whole rigmarole is is falling apart. Don't you think at some point, Tyler, we also have got to turn to federal spending? I mean, you look at the budget. Uh, we're still, you know, we're deficit financing a very substantial amount of government spending. And that does put pressure on the Fed. I mean, if you're going to have a clash between tighter Fed and a continued loose budget policy, I mean, I think the Republicans got to go after the budget too
0: I mean fiscal restraint is is definitely in order it's very much needed i'm I'm not holding my breath because we are now at a point where such a small fraction of federal spending is a, discretionary, and B, non-defense. And, you know, if, if interest rates are going up, the the interest cost of I mean, the, the money that the federal government is going to have to spend on interest payments is going to be a bigger and bigger deal.
1: And the Biden budget vastly underestimate interest expense.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, Larry, there the, are their, their assumptions about the path of interest rates. Their assumptions about the path of growth under their policies massively flatters the, 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 the deficit over yeah. the next ten years.
1: Yeah, so right, we're going to sell a lot more bonds than they're telling us, and we're going to sell those bonds at much higher interest rates than they're telling us. <laughs> and that you know that's yeah, a well. wicked that's a wicked combination. I mean, that's, you know that's the wrong path entirely. That's why I agree with you it's not easy, although I've been talking to Russell Vogt, uh, who was the OMB director. Um, I mean, there is a lot of domestic discretionary spending that could be cut. I'm not saying they'll do it, but you probably need the presidency to really get that done. But the fact is there's a lot that could be done. There's several trillion dollars over time that could be taken out of that domestic discretionary budget.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I would love to see further tax reform that incentivizes business investment, that incentivizes labor force participation. And, and if you want to do it in a, in a deficit-neutral way, uh, you know, there, there are additional tax expenditures that I would be targeting, things yeah. like the state and local tax deduction and the mortgage inter- interest deduction. Those are, those are scheduled to come back, I think, in, starting in 2026. You know, if you eliminated those tax expenditures, that would be a couple trillion dollars uh, over over a decade. And you could plow those those tax savings into marginal rate reductions. Yeah.
1: The individual tax code. You're right. I mean, look, those rates um, are too high. You know, small businesses. Right. They pay the personal tax rate. How about how about the unrealized capital gains tax on wealth? What do you think of that? What a great idea!
0: <laughs> well, actually, I I think the, their billionaires tax was a bit of a cop out on their part. You know, they they didn't dare to uh, they didn't dare to offend their donor class by eliminating the step up in basis on capital gains. So instead, they they do something pretty gimmicky.
1: Do <laughs> I, I, you know if they uh, the tax foundation did a study? If Biden's tax plans went through, we would have a, just about the highest tax structure in the whole OECD. I mean, we we'd be going from like the middle to the high to the top. I mean, we wouldn't we would be uncompetitive.
0: Right. I think people forget that the the corporate tax reform in 2017 that that we introduced brought us pretty much just to the OECD average because we had been so uncompetitive before twenty seventeen tax reform. So basically what what they're proposing would would put us at the bottom of the pile again.
1: I mean it's again it's exactly the opposite. It's done I mean it's done, Tyler, in the name of, you know, income redistribution, wealth redistribution. People, quote-unquote, paying their fair share. I mean, it, it's a socialist approach, basically, right? It's a socialist. It's not a growth approach, is it, Dollar? It's a, it's an income-leveling approach.
0: It's a growing the pie is hard. We would rather spend our time and energy figuring out how to more equitably distribute it.
1: Yeah, equitably. There's that word the word equity appears about a hundred times in the Biden budget. I love, I love that. And Um, Tyler, social justice, equity. Okay. Um, I mean, we're talking about socialism here. That's really what their goal is. That's the progressive goal, Tyler.
0: It is. And it's sad because, they are ignoring, if, if that is what they purport to care about, then they really ought to be looking and studying the lessons of, looking at and studying the lessons of the experience of 2018, 2019. When we felt declining income inequality, declining wealth inequality, declining uh, the, the right. gap between, between black and white wages. Tyler Goodspeed. They they seem Tyler
1: Goodspeed. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Enjoy London.
0: America.